Welcome back, Juniors. Here's a quick recap of last week's episode. While at the tree, Stacy, Heather, and Ken discovered new connections between this world and theirs. Callista called men and women Anthropus, saying that they were myths, and she also knew about Greek gods. On their journey to find Trendok, the hyperborn Anani, Michael's life was saved from a monster roaming the woods by a tall, white-haired metaph named Zim. Now, back to the story. Chapter 19 Michael woke with Zoe's spear butt sticking into his side, her armor gleaming in the harsh morning light that stabbed its way past the tent flaps. Awake, Reed Keeper. Your training begins today. She exited the tent with no further explanation. Are there nights shorter here or what? Steve groaned. I think you're part cat, Steve. Bear rumbled. You would sleep all day if you were allowed. Oh, what's your point? Steve said as he stretched himself back into existence. Carpe diem. Bear smiled and stepped outside. Steve coughed and rubbed his eyes. I'd like to seize the day and throttle it. Steve said to no one in particular. Michael stumbled out of the enclosure, and Bear handed him a stone cup of what he hoped was coffee, but turned out to be tea. Good morning, Bear said. Morning. Michael managed as he tried to get his bearings. The tea was hot and refreshing, driving the shadows of his mind away. The encampment was alive with activity. The Metaf went to and fro as they prepared for the day's journey. One caught his immediate attention. Canaeus strode towards him and Bear with a purpose. A large green snake squirmed in her grasp. Before Michael or Bear could react, she strode past them and tossed the serpent into the tent. The hell? Steve screeched and bolted out of the tent. You must be prepared for anything, the stout woman shouted. Follow me. Steve shot a suspicious look at Michael and Bear. Don't look at me, Michael said. No! Canaeus shouted, spurring the young men into motion. They followed the grizzled warrior into a small clearing. I'll train you, the muscular woman said, and I swear by my braids you will learn. She pulled a long leather strap that widened in the middle from her pocket. This is the first thing you will learn. Once you master this, I will show you the javelin and the bow. She removed a rounded stone the size of a golf ball from a small bag. The sling is a superior weapon. It is accurate, quick, and lethal. In a fluid motion, she dropped a stone into the strap's pouch and easily hurled the missile 50 yards with one underhand spin. She produced slings for each of them, instructing them to wrap one around their wrist and hold the other end with their fingers. Michael figured they spent a good hour tossing stones everywhere except where they were aiming. At one point, Steve sent a rock straight up, making all but the warriors scurry for cover. Bear turned out to be the most adept at the weapon, and by the end, he was almost able to get a stone going in the direction he intended. The lesson consisted mostly of Canaeus cursing at them. How they could have survived for so long without the ability to use even the simplest of weapons baffled her. The rough Amazonian used increasingly colorful and, from what Michael could gather, vulgar ways to describe her disgust with their lack of skill. Michael didn't know what a calcatory was, but apparently it was better to mate with one than be mistaken for an orient. Much to their relief, the three were finally summoned back to the camp to continue on their journey. 
Michael reluctantly climbed onto his mount. His legs protested as he slid into the saddle. The spirited animal spun the moment he had himself situated, and Michael jerked the reins sharply. Enough! He was in no mood to wrestle with the beast. To his surprise, the horse instantly quieted. Welcome to day two, Steve said, bringing up his ride next to Michael. I'm exhausted, Michael confessed. Yeah, me too, Steve said as he rubbed at his shoulder. Are we that out of shape? Michael asked, genuinely concerned. You're simply not used to it, Bear said around a mouthful of bread. My grandpa still takes my family horseback riding every summer. I promise by the end of the week, you will feel much better. Zine rode up beside them and handed Michael a wineskin. Here, it'll give you strength. Michael took a long drink of the ice-cold liquid and felt at once refreshed. A coolness spread through his body, and the muscles in his legs relaxed dramatically. Wow, thank you. He handed the pouch to Steve. What do you call that? Her smile said she was happy to help. And a pow. It is a complex drink, but it has the power to sustain. I see that this is all very foreign to you. You are not used to this type of travel? Bear is. Steve thumbed in his friend's direction. We two are a little more civilized. We usually take a car. It's like a carriage, Michael interjected. Do you know what a carriage is? Oh, yes. Zine's eye sparkled. It is very unusual. I watched as a Hyperborean lord passed in one. Zine, why don't you hate the Hyperborean? Michael asked. The girl shrugged. My sisters ask me the same question. I tell them that we're all the same. We all speak and hear. We all love and hate. A maple is different than an oak, but they are both trees. I am familiar with difference. My hair is white like none other, and I am tall, unlike my sisters. Should I be despised for my unusualness? Variety is the spice of life, Steve commented. Yes, I have traveled farther than any of my sisters, and almost as far as Hippolyte, and I have found that all races wish to live in peace. Why have you traveled so far? Do you enjoy it? Michael asked. Zine's eyes shifted from their focus. She peered into the distance, as if searching for an answer. My birth mother died in the war against the Hyperborean. I was too young to know who my father was, or who his people were. My sisters chastised me, but I wished to know my father's people, and to walk the streets that they made, and to climb the trees that they nourished. We, uh, we wish you luck in your search, Michael said. Zine's smile broadened. I wish you luck on your search. Trindok is an elusive prey. It has been very long since anyone has seen him. I fear I will reach my goal before you. But do not despair. All will unfold for us in time. Also, she dropped her voice to a conspiratorial volume. Do not let Canaeus intimidate you. She is by far the toughest among us, but like a mother bear, never cruel. She handed Michael some cheese wrapped in a cloth. Here, this is her favorite. Place it before her feet tomorrow, before your training begins. It will be seen as an offering of payment for her services. Michael stowed the gift in one of his saddlebags. Thank you. And thank you for saving my life. They were words that Michael had heard a thousand times in movies and books, but never dreamed he would ever say them himself. The maiden blushed and touched her forelock. 
You are most welcome, Michael of the Reeds. Do not let it sit so on your brow. Salvation comes to us all in many ways. Perhaps you'll have a chance to repay the debt on this journey. Michael watched as she rode ahead, finally feeling a little better after last night's debacle. Well, look at you, smooth operator. Steve smiled. She saved my life, Steve. Michael said seriously. And probably yours, too. I don't think that thing would have stopped with me. He shivered. Word to the wise. Some are the jealous type. Speak of the devil, Steve muttered as he reined in his mount and joined Bear, who had fallen further back. What? Michael turned in his saddle to look at Steve and saw Zoe approaching. You have spoken with Zine? She asked offhandedly. Is that a problem? He knew it was not the right way to start with her, especially so early in the morning, but he couldn't help himself. Besides, it might stop Steve's incessant ribbing about her. Just because a pretty girl talked to him didn't mean anything, and just because she was pretty didn't mean he was attracted to her, which should be obvious to everyone that he was not. He couldn't care less about how the sun seemed to illuminate Zoe's hair or how it contrasted just how dark her green eyes were. Michael bit the inside of his cheek to stop his mental rambling. Should there be a problem? She sparred back. Zine has been very helpful. In fact, she's been the friendliest out of everyone here. I expect she has, Zoe said knowingly. What's that supposed to mean? Zoe continued as if she had not heard. Canaeus says you have the gift of battle. You have been trained. It didn't sound like a question, but he decided to answer anyways. I have. When she remained silent, Michael continued. It's called martial arts. It's a type of fighting with hands and feet. My dad wanted me to do football, but you can say that I don't really get along with football players. She nodded as if in approval. Canaeus would say that if a game didn't prepare you for battle, then it was a labor of Sisyphus. I do not agree. Victory in anything is never a waste. Still, it seems you've made the correct choice. He shrugged. It was really Ken's idea. I just didn't want to play football. I didn't expect anything like this happening. I say up and you say down, Reedkeeper. She snapped. You do not make this easy. She kicked her mount and trotted up to the front of the column without further comment. Baffled, Michael watched her go. Zoe spoke several words to the warrior leading the line, dismounted, looked back once at him, and then shot into the forest. He didn't see her again for many days when he knocked on death's door. Chapter 20 Michael slapped at his neck for the hundredth time that day. He hated mosquitoes. He mumbled a curse and wiped the remains of one onto his mount. Zine appeared at his side, as she had for the past several days, always unbidden, but ever helpful. She handed him a small vial. This will keep them at arm's length. Place a few drops on your neck and wrists. The musky smell made his nose twitch, but anything was better than being sucked dry. I don't get it. They weren't like this yesterday. Michael complained as he smeared the sticky brown goo on his neck. Can you not tell the difference in the forest? Zim asked, puzzled. Michael mirrored her perplexed expression and then re-examined his surroundings. He saw no change. 
The trees looked exactly as they had yesterday, as they had for the past several days. He scratched the small white scars on his cheek and thought, and then, as if a light was switched, he saw it. The forest seemed old, old and cruel, he thought. Little help, Steve called from ahead. Michael tossed him the vial. I don't get it, Zine, he said. I can see the difference, but I can't explain it. What do you see? Her eyes gleamed with wonder like she was watching a child's first step. Michael hunted for the correct words. This place seems old. I can almost feel the weight of it. But yesterday, everything seemed alive. But not just alive. More like full of life. Here, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a soul. It feels like I'm riding through a corpse. You see far and well, Michael Reed, she stated. We call this the Hemathaean's forest. It is half dead. The Hyperborean believed that the Exotheneo were the cursed of Trendoc. But this forest is its true bane. It lives, and yet it is not alive. When Trendoc forsook his kinsmen, he forsook the land. Like Trendoc did this? Michael asked, appalled. The person they sought for help could steal the life of an entire forest? He did this by doing nothing, the Willoughby girl explained. An Anani vows to tend for the soul of the land and the heart of their people. The damage you perceive is not intentional. It is more of a, a reflection of the apathy of Trindok's heart. I fear the wound of their betrayal will never heal. They rode in silence. Zine had been exceedingly helpful the past several days. All of the Metep had grown somewhat accustomed to the strangers, and some had even ventured to speak a few words. But Zine? She seemed to anticipate their needs. Even though they spoke the language fluently, Michael realized they were still in need of an interpreter. The boys needed someone to serve as a go-between in the culture, and, for that, Michael was continually in the girl's debt. Meanwhile, Canaeus had trained them hard. Michael glanced at the sling wrapped around his wrist. Canaeus made a habit of randomly pointing out a target throughout the day, and the last one to unleash a stone got beamed in the head with a pebble. That battle axe doesn't even need a sling, Steve grumped one day as he rubbed at his head. Michael noted that his friend made sure it was well out of earshot of their teacher. The pebbles didn't do any lasting damage, but they were a strong motivator. It took a couple of days for Steve to realize that he needed to be awake and alert for their morning lessons. Michael almost laughed recalling the look on his friend's face when their teacher chucked a possum into their sleeping quarters. Steve had burst out of the tent with the terrified animal clinging to his shirt. After that incident, Steve was up and ready at least a half an hour before Kanea showed herself. Michael looked at his sling. He was surprised at how easy the simple weapon was to master. Of course, he still needed to hone his aim, but more often than not, he hit his target. Kanea said that you always hit what you aim for. The trick was to get the mind and the hand to want the same target. After five successful days of target practice, Canaeus decided they were ready for the javelin. This will feed and protect you, the stout Metup explained. We use this weapon in hunting and in battle. 
Canaeus brandished three poles approximately five feet high and one that was longer than the rest. Each had a metal spear point. She handed one to Michael and one to Steve. Michael hefted the weapon and guessed it weighed just under five pounds. The grip was a leather strip wrapped around the shaft and the five sides of the head came to a sharp point. She handed the longest spear to Bear. This is for you. It is a larger version of the javelin, but the dimensions match your size. You will be able to wield this just as easily on horseback. Steve Voss, Canaeus barked. What is the dangerous end? The pointy side. Wrong. The woman twirled the weapon and struck Steve on the shoulder with the butt. Bear. The whole thing. Bear answered quickly. Correct. Do not be a fool and think only the metal can cause damage. You live by thinking faster than your foe. You must be smarter than they are stronger. Now, strike me. Michael and Bear lunged at her. Canaeus deflected Bear's blow and slammed the weapon into Michael's fingers. Michael cursed and dropped his javelin as a stone whizzed past his head, striking Canaeus in the chest. Halt, she ordered. Lektok, why did you use your sling? Steve was poised to drop another projectile into his sling. I knew I couldn't match you with the weapon I just learned about, but I've been training with this thing for days. Excellent. Their training continued each day with a new surprise to keep them alert. Canaeus made it clear that their lessons were not restricted to the morning sessions. At any moment, she could flow out of the surrounding wood and hit them with a question or a small stone. Zine, have you seen Zoe? Michael had intended to ask the question days ago, but his tongue kept getting stuck. Yes. He risked probing further. Where's she been? Zine focused her dark brown eyes on him. Do you know of her duty? Michael paused, searching. The Bride of Hyperborean? Yes. Her obligation to her sister calls her away from all that she knows and loves. Zoe wishes to bid her forest farewell. Would you, would you tell her I'm sorry, he said awkwardly. Do not pity her. She is performing a great deed for her sisters and her forest. It's not that. Michael drew a deep breath. I think I may have slighted her in some way. I don't know. Just tell her I'm sorry. Very well, Michael Reed. Up ahead, a warrior shouted. Several maidens on horseback raced up the trail. Stay here, Zine ordered and chased after her comrades. Suddenly alone, Michael exchanged puzzled looks with his friends. Canaeus burst from the forest and wheeled her horse next to Steve and Bear. Time to test your skill, children! She bellowed and kicked her mount into a gallop. Bear and Steve rushed after her without hesitation. After a moment, Michael spurred his steed into pursuit. He broke upon a small clearing in complete chaos. Two men stood back to back as they whirled bows in desperation. The strangers were surrounded by twenty of the ugliest things Michael had ever seen. The things looked like men, but with huge black heads and sharp yellow teeth that jutted in every direction. They had arms and legs, but that's where all similarities stopped. Their arms were too long, and their gray, almost black bodies seemed twisted as if they were fashioned by some dark god that had once heard of men, but had never seen one. Canaeus led his friends crashing into the unsuspecting monsters. Bear held a huge limb that he must have wrenched from a tree, his thick forearms corded with his grip. Steve 
laughed wildly, swinging his sword over his head. A dozen maidens, armor gleaming, fell upon the brutish beasts. Screams filled the air. This is madness, Michael thought as he chased after Steve and Bear. He pulled his javelin from the stirrup and charged into the throng. The world fell away. Screams of hate, pain, and bloodlust enveloped him. Michael slammed his mount into the back of one of the creatures. The horse danced on its head, destroying any resemblance of a skull. He whirled his mount around as it caught a spike in the saddle and found himself surrounded by bent teeth. Watch out! A voice shouted from nearby. Canaeus appeared and deflected a blow from a crooked sword that was meant for his head. Use your weapon! She bellowed. Michael swung blindly but managed to crash his spear point into a deformed head. The shock of the blow registered up his arm and into his jaw. The creature, unfazed, deftly pivoted and pulled him from his horse with its twisted arms. Air fled his lungs as he collided with the ground. Black claws gripped his ankle. Desperate and near panic, he swung with all his might into the monster's leg. A resounding crack told him he had found his mark. The thing howled and hit the ground. Michael scrambled to his feet and stabbed its chest. He was amazed at the ease in which the metal slid through the muscle and bone. It feels like I'm stabbing an orange, he thought. It grabbed his weapon, screaming in pain, black and yellow gore spewing out of its mouth. This isn't happening, his mind whirled. Mike! Steve cried a warning that was too late. Huge, crooked teeth buried themselves into Michael's shoulder. He screamed. Fire lit into his mind, blinding all thought. He felt the percussion of several arrows through the monster's body, and it fell dead at his feet. His right shoulder burned in agony. Idiot! The thought of his own stupidity flared inside of him. His arm hung useless at his side. Son of a bitch! He yelled and pierced one of the fallen creature's huge black eyes with his spear point. Too much was happening at once. Bodies crashed into one another. He slashed at another twisted form. He couldn't catch his breath. His feet threatened to slip in the gore-covered earth. He was so tired of feeling this way, feeling inadequate and useless. Something pierced his side. He groaned, stupid. He barely deflected a blow that nearly took off his ear. He was so tired of always being mad at himself. Pathetic. You should have brought me peace. A voice whispered in his head, worthless. He was going to die because he wasn't good enough. Not good enough for his father. He wasn't good enough for... Vicky? Michael's anger erupted into a rage. He roared and thrust his weapon through another thing's throat. Bile vomited onto him. He ripped away the spear and whipped it into a creature's crooked leg. The weapon snapped in half and Michael drove the broken shaft into a black dead eye, pinning the skull into the ground. Michael's rage became wrath as he stabbed and struck and killed anything in his red-tinted world. But there were too many of him. He was surrounded and alone. Hands grabbed him from all sides and pulled him to the ground. Michael kicked and clawed with all his might. He heard his friends crying out, but he couldn't reach them. He had to save his friends. It was his fault that they were here. He should have warned them. He should have told them sooner about the dreams. A creature gripped his head. Mike! Mike! It's over! He stopped struggling and looked into Steve's wide blue eyes. What? It's done, dude. Steve had a nasty cut along his neck and his face was covered in grime. It's cool. We, we survived. 
We did? He croaked. For some reason, his throat felt skinned from the inside. Dude, I have never seen anything like that. Steve flopped onto the ground next to him, clearly exhausted and overjoyed to be alive. You went totally aggro on us. Like, serious berserker rage. I did? He vaguely realized he was surrounded by the company. His vision was clouded by dirt and tears, but he could tell that all of them were looking at him, staring at him. Is he hurt? A beautiful red-haired girl muscled her way through the crowd. He has been bitten, a rough voice said, and wounded in his side. The redhead spat a curse, and Michael blinked. So? He tried to focus on the lithe form that bent over him. So, I'm, I'm sorry, he said just before the darkness swallowed him. Thanks for listening, Journeyers. I hope you enjoyed this. And if you do, please spread the word, because I don't have an advertising budget. But honestly, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy taking this journey with me. Remember, be good to one another and have a great week.